That is the best intro I ever got, and I or I'm I will ever that. get. I'm regretting. <laughs> it's on video. Oh, Rachel. Hi. Oh man. Thank you so much. Oh, my God. You're so welcome. I thought of it way in advance. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Fussman, and this podcast is going to make everybody smile. There's a reason I chose to go to the archives this week to dig out my talk with Rachel Platten. This conversation took place at the Life is Beautiful Festival in Las Vegas last September. In it, the singer told me the story of her struggle to come up with her signature hit, Fight Song. If for some reason you haven't heard Fight Song, check it out on YouTube. Because you don't want me singing it to you. I think you'll recognize the song as soon as you hear it. What I didn't know was that it took Rachel 15 years of touring around the country, singing in people's living rooms before it came out of her. Years of her husband supporting her while she was out on the road. Very few singers break through in their mid-30s. This song is a description of the determination it can take to make it. I thought of this conversation a few days ago when I got an email blast from Tim Ferriss. It was titled, How to Succeed in High-Stress Situations. Started with how in the last few weeks, Tim had lost a family member, had several deals he'd been working on for the last six months or so fall apart at the last minute, and how he was forced to sue somebody for the unexpected damage arising from an egregious breach of contract. Tim recommended Ryan Holiday's book, The Obstacle is the Way, the Timeless Art of Turning Trials into Triumph to All Who Are Going Through Difficult Situations. There was a great quote he cited from Andy Grove, former CEO of Intel, that goes, Bad companies are destroyed by crisis. Good companies survive them. Great companies are improved by them. Listening to how Rachel persevered through all the obstacles to come up with that song will give anybody trudging through hard times the inspiration to keep on going. I entered my conversation with Rachel simply wanting to know why my teenage daughter, Bridget was then 15, now she's 16, loved Rachel's music so much. Fight Song has been called a female anthem, and maybe I love it because I love the way my daughter loves it. But it's also a message to anybody who's about to give up on anything. So please pass on this song and this conversation to anybody who could use it. I want to thank Justin Winnegar at Life is Beautiful for enabling me to pass this interview on. I recorded a bunch of these conversations with musicians and artists at the festival last year, and I'll be going back this year. Life is Beautiful has a great musical lineup for 2018. Check it out. Maybe I'll see you at the food court in downtown Las Vegas, September 21st to September 23rd. Let me thank Squarespace and ZipRecruiter for bringing this episode to you. You'll hear more about them in the mid-roll. But for now, let's get straight to Rachel Platten. I got to start with my daughter, 15-year-old Bridget. She had to go home this morning. She loves you. She loves your music. And she can't be here to meet you. So she's just feeling really sad. Oh, she is really? Yeah. She's feeling very sad, but we got to make fun of her for it. Are you sure? Is that what you guys do with your family? Okay, that's what we do with my family too. Yeah, that's the best way to approach it. Just give her so much shit. It's going to be great. (laughs) Forget about empathy. (laughs) I was about to be like, really feel for her. No, no no empathy. Empathy and everything else. All right. Not Not for Bridget. Nope. I think you're going to raise a solid human being with that attitude. That's great. (laughs) So 
my question is, it's amazing to be the father of a child and see the child love somebody that she's never met and love the music. And then you start to say like, wow, what? how did that happen? Why does she love you so much? And so that's kind of what I'd like to figure out. <laughs> Where did you come from? Oh. Where are you from? That's such a sweet start. Thank you. Um, Not as good well, as your intro. But yeah, I'm, no, I'm it's trying. true. It was okay. hard, it's hard to beat. <laughs> I come from Boston. I grew up in Newton, Massachusetts, about 15 minutes outside of Boston. I was raised in a super normal town. It's just like super normal. There's no artists. It wasn't really like encouraged. No one was encouraged to go be a musician or go do anything outside of the normal, like go to college. And the pinnacle was going to graduate school. And it was a very academic kind of areas, close to Harvard. And the high school I went to was kind of a feeder for Harvard. So, But you had to know that you had a voice. I loved to sing. I knew that I loved to sing. I didn't know that I was good. I didn't really think that I was, and I didn't think I was special. I just knew that I loved it. Well, was there a moment in your childhood where you were, like, singing alone? My family loved to sing together. It was really dorky. We, like, except for my dad. He would kind of, like, put up with it. But my mom and sister and I, we would harmonize in cars. And we we loved old Motown records. We used to, my mom, they had, like, a best of Motown. And so we would do, you remember Leader of the Pack? Oh, yeah. Okay, so we would oh, all act man. it out. Like, leader of the pack. Vroom, vroom. Leader of the pack. Now, and so we kind of, like, act out. So I think Mel, one of my sister's friends, was like, they're like a musical seventh heaven on crack, the platinum. <laughs> <laughs> so we just loved to sing. And I don't know. It, it was very normal for me to sing, but it, my family wasn't big on, like, you're better than anyone else. You should, you should know You should that. try this. Yeah, they were kind of just like, my mom's a therapist, so they're really supportive, and they give a lot of love. But they're also, it was very important to them to know if we were ever like, ooh, I look pretty today, they were, my mom would very quickly correct us. No, you look pretty on the inside, and that's all that matters, and you're a good person. So we were just like kind of always like leveled down, like, oh, no. did, is that Does that help you, or did it hinder you? Hmm. I think that it hindered me a little bit. Because I had a lot of fears, and it's, I mean, I still do. Like, I don't necessarily always know, oh, do I deserve what I'm getting right now? Or am I good enough for this? Or, you know, maybe I'm not. So, but at the same time, they did give a lot of love and support um, in their own ways, and they encouraged me as much as they could. And so I do come from a place knowing that there's a lot of love there, but it wasn't a place of, like, I don't know. My family wasn't the kind of family that achieved great things. We were kind of always just like, we did a good job. Does oh, that make sense? I, 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 I get it. Uh, it. It's like comfortable in the middle. Yes, totally. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. I, you know what? I had a very, I, I never was able to harmonize, and you don't want to hear me try. Mm. Uh, but Your I speaking voice gives that away. I, I would think you were beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> But to be, I understand that being in the middle where everything is comfortable and mm. you're, you're not really driven to rise to great heights and you know that based on what you've been given, you're never really going to fall down. If you follow yeah. this path. Right. Now, now, if you do try and go to a great height, you may plummet down to earth. Right. So at what point do you break out of the middle well, it was almost like, okay, so I always sang. I loved to sing. I was in choirs. Maybe I got a solo once in a while. Um, but again, there were always people that were better than me. I never in my mind was like, I'm the best in my high school or best in my choir. I just loved it. But then it was almost like music was chasing me and whispering in my ear and kept being like, please follow us. Like, we're trying to show you. And I, always, I played classical piano growing up. I loved it. Finally, when I was in college, I went abroad to Trinidad. And when I was there, music was like screaming at that point. Like, you are supposed to do this with your life. How much more clearly can we make this for you? Was there a single moment where you yes. heard marimbas? There was, a, yes, there was a single moment. What was the moment? Okay, so I was working at a record label in Trinidad. And there was a night when the band that we worked for needed a backup singer. Someone got sick or something. 
And I volunteered. I was like, me, like eagerly. And I'll do it. Did you know what they were going to sing? Yeah, I, I had memorized all the songs. I loved the songs. So they they were like, okay, you'll do. Fine. Weird girl that like, kind of sits around here. What, like, what were yeah. you doing there in the first place? I was following a little inkling, you know, like I got like a little whisper of an idea. Trinidad is infused with music. Do you know anything about it? Uh, a, a little. So music is so important in the culture. And they sing political songs. They sing Christmas songs. They right, sing right. pop songs. They sing all throughout, like every part of their lives are um, kind of told through song. And Did you know that before you went? I did. There was okay. some guy came and did a presentation in one of my international relations classes in college. And I saw it Go and I was to like, Trinidad. gotta do it. Go to gotta Trinidad. do it. My parents were like, where the hell are you going? What? <laughs> Why don't you go to Spain or like, like Everybody anyone else? Everybody goes to Italy. Why yeah. are you going to Italy? Don't yeah. be. So, and I was like, no, no, no. I gotta go. So weird. And I went and I worked at the record label. I worked at um, the diplomat's office and at the record label. So I, I raised my hand. I volunteered. And they were like, okay. So my first concert for all intents and purposes, was in front of 80,000 people at the International Soka Monarch Finals in Trinidad. And I was on stage, and I just felt a humongous bolt of lightning. Like, oh my God, this is exactly what I'm supposed to do with my life. I'm not afraid of this crowd. I don't want to shy away. I don't want to run off it. I want to grab the mic in the middle of the stage. How do I get that mic? Whoa. Yeah. And you're staring at that mic. Yes. Just eager, like hungry for it. Get me there. How do I do it? How do I get this crowd? I said, okay, so you come off, and how are you? Yeah. How are you treated when you come off? Well, I mean, I think we were all like, I don't know. I think we were all like smoking, and I don't know. Oh, <laughs> I don't think anyone right? was like treating it. I, no, no one was like, oh wow, you were amazing. I think they were just like, cool, let's go, let's go on to the next gig. And then I just joined the band, and then I got to be part of the band for a little bit. I did like. Four or five shows, or maybe I don't really remember now how many, but I toured a little bit with this band, and it was so beautiful. It was so addicting. I kind of went off the grid and scared everyone at the program. Was, was that like, was that a moment where, like, once you start it, you say, That's it, this is me, I, I don't care? Yes, yes, a hundred percent. Yes, I just felt I don't care what this takes now, I am going to give everything I have. I'm gonna give, I'm, I am gonna, I just. Right then, that was when I decided, I guess, even if this takes 15 years, which it took from that point until I'm successful, this is what I'm doing with my life. I just loved it. So when you're starting, obviously, you don't know that it's going to be 15 years no. and <laughs> any of the no. stuff you're going to have, the mud you're no, going to have to crawl through. I thought it'd be like a little easier than that. I thought like, okay, I'll leave Trinidad, I'll come back home and, and you know, I'll start making music. I'll write, I started writing songs when I was in Trinidad because of that experience and... Did you, did you find it easy to write like, music? Yeah, music came so, almost as if almost as if I had turned off a faucet that had wanted to be rushing through with, with water. And that moment when I turned it on, it was just all these lyrics and melodies were like swimming through me and like, thank God, Rachel, we were trying to get you to listen. And I had so much to say. And so At the much. same time, music and lyrics? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I was writing poems anyway. I always kind of wrote poems. I guess I don't really know to this day what comes first. I think the melodies sometimes come first, but then I fill them with lyrics. You you look so optimistic to me. Have Do you, I? Yeah, you, you're not? Yes, I am eternally optimistic. Okay. Yes, but I'm also deeply insecure and, like, always looking around for approval. I mean, I just gave a speech on this today that I know that I look like the happiest person, but— I'm a mess a lot of the time. Like it's, I don't, I don't believe that. I know. I don't believe. But it. I okay, fine. Do you want me to tell you a really embarrassing story? Yeah, yeah go ahead. No, actually, I can't. I th- Should you, I? You can definitely do it. Okay. So I, this morning on the plane. Oh my god! This morning on the plane, I'm looking back to get like a, someone shaking their head at me to not tell this. <laughs> this morning on the plane, I was really nervous about the speech. I've never spoken in public before without fight song coming after it or without like a song coming after it or not like as maid of honor. And that's what I was doing today. And I hadn't written the speech because I've been really busy. My record's almost due. So I'm on the plane. I'm freaking out. And there were two people talking behind me, and they were just getting to know each other in a super like nice, normal way. And I looked, I, I turned around and I was like, hey, could you guys be a little quieter on a plane? Who does that? <laughs> Your face is oh, so shocked. Oh, man, sh- you turned into a diva. Yes. 
You turned into it a, was so you're obnoxious. not a diva. I checked myself really quickly and I was like, oh, Rachel. And I knew like instantly, like I have moments where I'm just not proud of and, and it's, I don't know. I'm not always this like kind, <laughs> good person. I, I'm so glad that it seems like that, but I'm, I'm a work in progress and I'm, you know, make lots of little messes that I have to learn from and clean up. But lots of times when you're creating something, hmm. like I understand that it's like every nobody's allowed to distract. Like creation is going on here. You, <sighs> I know. it cannot be distracted. I know, but I'm working. I mean, I'm working on that part of my personality. Like that's not fair. I, what is my right to quiet is no more than their right to communicate, and that's gross. That I mistook that for a second. So. I hope they're listening. I've got it. She's sorry. So sorry. Rachel is sorry. So embarrassed. All right. I get the optimi- I get the optimism just coming out of you, but are there what what are the obstacles that are confronting your optimism at the start? In the start. The being before, and, back Well, you're back, back from Trinidad yeah. and now you know what you're gonna okay. do. But now I mean it's hard. Well, I think first of all, optimism takes incredible work. Like being happy and being positive is hard. I I have to do it every morning. I have to like get myself there. I meditate. I write in a journal. I have a lot of tools that I use. I wake up nervous, just like everyone. I wake up like kind of feeling down about myself. And and that's much more normal than waking up like I am going to conquer the day. And maybe that's surprising to my fans, but I think that, that me sharing that maybe gives permission to people to be like, okay, well, if you wake up not you know, with your fist in the air singing fight song, that's okay. You can get to a better place through work. I, I just, what, do you, what do you do in order to uplift yourself? I have so many different methods. I have medita- I mean, I, have, I love different meditations. I use lots of different ones. I write in a journal. I have a little corner in my bedroom that my husband calls um, my weird little corner of he, meditation he, he, that he's totally he, freaked out by. He doesn't go in there? <laughs> no, no, no. There's like crystals and like affirmations. And he's like, oh my God, <laughs> what is this? And I go sit there and I just connect with whatever, you know, the sources that's higher for you. But for me, it's pretty clear right now. And I connect and I turn inward and I just quiet the ego. I like quiet my ego. I quiet the fear. If I can, I do the best. I do the best that I can. What were you scared of? What a, what I'm. I guess what I'm still scared of that that I'm not enough. That I'm that I'm a mess up. That I don't know. That like it's even after all the success, I think it's beautiful because it. What I've learned is that I reached every single goal that I set out to reach, except for maybe a couple, and and then I still had all the same fears and anxieties and insecurities. And that was really interesting to me because like everyone, I think you're like, once I get there, I'll be happy. If I could just get that, I'll be happy. Like I thought in Trinidad, if I could just get the microphone in the front of the stage. I see. And then you I'll get I'll feel it. like enough. Right. And I did. And I've played to 80,000 people again. And it's amazing. And it's incredible. But then you wake up the next morning and hopefully you're still high from like the incredible night. But what will normally happen is like all the all of who you are starts creeping back in, and the bar just keeps getting higher. I, but here's the thing: I, I, do you don't feel like that? No. That's great. I hope that it's not normal to feel like that, but I feel like for girls it is. It's an interesting thing. We're just like in different stages of life too. So I'm bringing up three kids. Two of them are now off in college. But in some ways, like I I don't have permission Mm. uh, to to be depressed. I get it. No kids yet, right? No, but my dad is actually, I've had a conversation like this with my dad before. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you'll see. As, As soon... As soon as you it's kind start, kind of self-indulgent to like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yeah, and not only that, it takes up all your time. Yeah, oh, it's exhausting. And it's exhausting. Yeah, it's terrible. And, and then you just wake up in the morning and you you do it over again. Hmm. I, and I'm I'm coming through that stage. See, I I traveled around the world for ten years without a home, and then I met the woman who became a wife, 
And then we got married. Wait, where? I know this. In Jericoacoara, Brazil. That's right. I just listened to this. And, and so then we started to have kids, and I couldn't travel anymore. And like a different person comes out of that mm. where you're responsible for everything. Mm. And now they're going off to college, and the youngest is 15. And I'm starting to see like the victory lap ahead of me. <laughs> you know, I I can yeah. go off to Trinidad. Yeah. I could be among those eighty thousand people watching when you go back and sing. And that's that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. But it doesn't I don't know that it allows for what I, yeah. here's the thing. Why do you feel that way? Because it seems like everything was in the middle yeah. and nice and comfortable. What what's what do you what do you get sad about? Man, I mean, I ask myself that too. I look around me all the time, and I do like a gratitude practice of, and that really helps to be like, my life is really beautiful right now. I have an incredible family that is healthy. I'm so blessed. I have beautiful friends. I have people that support me and care, and 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 I don't know. I don't know, Cal. I don't know. Like I think that. Maybe you think this is a female thing? No, I don't. No, that's not fair because okay. it can't be. It's. I think it's a human thing, and I think that maybe you are right that once you become a parent, you are not really afforded the time or the space to indulge those thoughts because being depressed is certainly pretty self-absorbed. Like you're like seeing this guy through a straw, and then my mom's a therapist, so like we talk about this a lot. And then you remove it, and you see the whole sky, and like, the kind of depression is like that narrow focus on you. Right. And so I really do understand that. But it's not that I'm sad. I just get I I just get anxious. Like I just anxious that I'm not going to be enough or, oh, or give okay. enough to people that I that I have this beautiful opportunity and that I'm going to mess it up. All right. So as part of this and this is a lot of athletes go through this and may, maybe a lot of singers, people love you for what you do, for the songs that you give them. Mm. And like if that ever goes away, mm. what about the love? Do oh, yeah. The love is addicting. It's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I better. But, okay. I did start to understand this year. And I recently wrote a song that really put a cap on it and really helped me truly understand. And that's what I do when I need to understand a lesson. I wrote a song about it. And then once I have that song out there, it's like that piece of me can release and, and go out to the world. And it's not it's not a fear anymore. So I finally wrote a song that has really helped me conquer this. What's that song? It's called Perfect For You. And it's like, I'm done jumping through hoops. I can't be perfect for you. I've spent too much time chasing it. And I'm, you know, all this insecurity is hurting me and I need to stop. And writing that was really beautiful and empowering for me. And it was just this release of like, I'm always afraid to look around me and like say, I just can't be what you need. I'm a huge people pleaser. I want to make everyone happy and I want to make everyone love me and I want to make everyone feel good all the time. But that's exhausting. And as I've gotten, you know, this amazing stage and opportunity, there's more and more people that I need to please and give to. So what happens, like you can get a million comments on Twitter that are positive Mm. and three thumbs downs or those won't bother me. Oh, they don't. No, screw that. I don't care about that. The thumbs down, I don't care about. No. But it, but if there's one that stands out in particular, like one that feels true, that could get me. If, if I think if it's if it feels true, if it feels like just crazy online stuff, then that's whatever I don't care. Okay. What about early on? Because mm. I imagine it took a while for your confidence to blossom. Yeah. Yeah. Well. What are the obstacles then? Okay. Well, first of all, that I had no fan base, that that I had no access to the industry. I didn't have anyone who had connections. I kind of moved to New York City just alone. I found my band on Craigslist. I'm really proud of that girl. When I look back, I, I kept journals throughout all of my 20s so I can read back. And I, she was amazing. She was like... She was, she was driven. Yeah, she was awesome. She didn't really care. She, like, met up with a random band in the West Village at 1030 on a work night and went down and created a band. And then she got, like, I got a gig that I did covers for three hours. I knew not one cover. So I stayed up for, like, 48 hours straight and learned them all. I went to St. Bart's with a band, like, two months after I moved to the city and did a residency there every night for two months and really learned how to win over an audience there. 
Um, I think the obstacles, though, were just that I wasn't, if we're being completely honest, like I wasn't very good. So I was always, I was always maybe entertaining to watch on stage because I smile a lot. I love to sing. I like love it. When I'm on stage, it's pure joy for me. So I think maybe that makes people happy to see and that connects with people. But I don't know if I was very good. I don't think my songs were very good. The obstacles were that anyone in the industry was like, nice try. Keep were you working. Always, were you always singing your own songs? Or- yeah. So it was except pure the, you out there. Yeah, except for the nights that I was um, paying my bills with covers. Yeah. Do you know the fact that you may not be that that good, or are you at the time? Yeah. Then? Not not no. really. You think you're great. I think I was just always all right. I think I like to shy away from the fact that I'm optimistic. And the truth is, I even then just believed at the end of the day that things were going to work out. I believed that against all odds. I was going to somehow be the one, even though there were hundreds of my friends in the village who were all trying to do it. I just always must have believed. Did you feel competitive with them? Of course. Yeah, there was a girl that was, in, 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 I, I didn't want to say yes. Like my, I was like, <laughs> no, I was very, everyone succeeded. <laughs> I'm trying to be really honest. But, but yeah. Then yeah there, there, no. there was someone with a great voice. God, and you, we, she and I were both in this cover band together. It was a Prince and Sly and the Family Stone cover band. And we played 1 to 4 a.m. in the village every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. And she could sing her ass off. She was incredible. And I can't sing like that. That's not my thing. That's not my, that's not the thing that connects me with an audience. I've worked on my voice, and I, and I think that my voice has gotten a lot stronger, and I'm proud of it now. But that wasn't my strength at 22 or 23. So that was tough. I used to watch her next to me, and I would be like, oh, don't oh, – if Chrissy starts singing, I'm going to look like a, a real loser because then people are going to compare us and – now that's sad. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that's it. You you have a right to be sad. Thank you. But did she, did she blossom and No. Yeah. No. And, she didn't and though so, she could have. She was amazing. I mean But a lot of this then no. doesn't it, it's much bigger than having a great voice. It's not it's, about that. What is it about? I think it's finding I think it's finding the most real version of you that is coming from source, from God, from above, letting that just, if it's a song that you're writing, if you're a songwriter, letting it, letting it come in and not getting in the way. Because if you can be the clearest channel to something bigger than you, that's what people want. They want some truths. They want like, they want to feel like they're not alone. They want to feel like they're heard and seen. And maybe that's what I do in my music. So I think that through songs like Fight Song, and Stand By You and the songs I've written for this album, I'm really vulnerable in them. I don't really like put up walls of who I am. I, I'm really honest. I let my failures and my fears, I let them be my strengths. It's funny when I listen to those songs, I just hear power. You do? Yeah. I don't, I don't. You do, that's awesome. I don't hear any of the thing look obviously that's what pushed the, the other part is what no, pushed it out no but you might be right and i could be totally wrong i don't think so it's got to be both both it's got to be yeah. both because let me tell you i as i don't get inspired by people who are just powerful i get inspired by power, power with vulnerability mm. that's what i love someone that's like encouraging me but then also raw and telling me what's right. wrong with them and you can't have a story without vulnerability no there is no story without vulnerability Brene Brown, I was just listening to what she said. She said, there's no courage without vulnerability. The two define the same thing. Vulnerability is risk of uncertainty, emotional like instability, knowing that you don't know the outcome. That is courage. Yeah. Well, I think those those songs to me are the smash through vulnerability. But there's acknowledgement of them in there. Like like the, the verses, I know at least for me, maybe they don't come off that way. You know what? Maybe they don't because when I see an audience, they're... Oftentimes people cry at my shows, and that's really beautiful. I don't know why they're crying. I don't know if they're crying because they, like, relate. They see that my weakness is their weakness, and it's the same. Or if they just feel inspired and they feel power from me. But I hope that it's both. Because at least what I want to do now on this record is show people, guess what? I'm not just that person. I'm not just the strong person that, like, can battle through anything and, and fight through anything. I also get really afraid and I also am like you and that I'm insecure. And so if I, if I can go that low with you, then you can believe me when I want to take you up mm, high. Wow.
Time for a word from our sponsors. You know, I just got a beautiful illustration of Seoul, South Korea from Arius Durr. That's where he listens to big questions. Also, a wonderful shot of the skyline of Salt Lake City from Chip Spencer. And an amazing image, a professional image from Michael Martin in Sendai, Japan of the Buddha. Seeing where I'm connecting with people all over the world makes me so happy. And even better yet, these photos are being assembled into a collage that will appear on the podcast page of calfussman.com. And do you know why they will look so great? Because they will be powered by Squarespace. The photos pop on Squarespace. Your messaging is crystal on Squarespace. And that's why I'm so happy that I can offer you a 10% discount on your next website or domain name. All you got to do is go to squarespace.com and type in the offer code FUSSMAN. Try it and see the connections you make in a whole new way. And ZipRecruiter. If you need to hire, I don't have to tell you how difficult it can be to find just the right person. Let ZipRecruiter take care of all the obstacles for you. ZipRecruiter's algorithms will find you just the right talent. All you got to do is type in your job description, and with a single click, you'll have qualified candidates within 24 hours. And if you go to ZipRecruiter.com backslash Fussman, F-U-S-S-M-A-N, you will get a free trial. All your obstacles have been eliminated. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com. It's the smartest way to hire. How long did it take along this process to get to a place where looking back, you're thinking, you know what? I started to get pretty good then. <laughs> mm, recently. Really only re- recently? Yeah, only recently. Maybe like two years ago. So this is like after 15 years? Yeah, I didn't think I was very good. I mean, okay, hold on. Let me answer that honestly. Let me think about it. I knew that I could put on a killer show. I knew I could put on a great show. Even like five years ago. I started to understand that I had that ability. But I think only recently I, I was like, wow, I really am, I am, I don't know if I still believe this. I'm saying this phrase out loud and I'm like, don't say it. Like I was going to say, yeah, I am one of the best in the world at performing and communicating with an audience and creating a community. But then like that part of me that says like, don't self-promote too much is like, don't say that. That's so, that's just, you know. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I get that. I get yeah. that. You know, the whole way that life is beautiful is structured, where all these people are bouncing off each other, these collisions. You you go to the part where there's food trucks and long tables and people just sit down next to people and they just start talking. That sense of community, it seems like it's like what you have through your songs. Yes. Everybody can come sit at the table And they're happy and have something in common, which is, you know, this festival or your music. Do you get to meet many of those people? And actually, like, sit down and talk with, like, what do you like about my music? No. Oh. You've never done that? No, no, no. Well, I have have an amazing fan base. They're called, they call themselves the Platinums. And they're really kind to each other. And that's the most important thing to me. They're really like good to each other. They're good people and they encourage, they encourage kindness. And I think that's pretty rare. They like do really amazing random acts of kindness for each other. One of them recently at a show, they all pitched together and did this like kicks, what is it called? Crowdfunding campaign to get a fan who couldn't afford to come to a show who they didn't know. They flew her out from England. Wow, that's great. They made a book called Chicken Noodle Soup for the Platinum Soul. Sorry, trademark. <laughs> I don't know the trademark rules. And they all showed stories, not about me, but about how the fandom helped them feel heard and feel like not bullied and feel like they had friends and, and had an answer and had a community. So 
I have gotten to talk to them and hear, you know, what makes them feel um, supported and loved by my music. Why? That's really beautiful. You know, was there, I, I'm thinking of uh, an anecdote that Rod Stewart told me, because when he was young and he was just starting out, mm. I guess he was over in Paris and he was, he'd be out in the street with his guitar, like singing with the case open and p- people dropping coins in or whatever. Yeah. And then years later, decades later, he was in Paris walking down the street and there was a young artist singing like with a guitar, with the open mm. case, getting money. And the artist was singing one of his songs. Oh my God. That's <laughs> so beautiful. That was a moment he knew, you know what? <laughs> I think yeah. I made it. Yeah. Did you have a moment where you knew? Yeah. Oh, I, I think a, I made it. I had a smaller one. It's not as beautiful a story as that. But I, when I was walking through New York City, I used to do a lot of temp jobs to support myself in the day. And then I would sing at night. And I lived on 28th and 3rd and then 18th and 1st. And I'd always walk through Union Square and I'd walk down Irving. Did you ever live in New York? Yeah, okay. I lived in Gramercy Park, so okay. I know exactly yeah. where that area is. Amazing. So I'd walk down Irving, and I'd look. I'd walk by Irving Plaza, and so that became my benchmark. Like when I play there, when I play Irving Plaza, I'll have made it. And I was so far away from playing it at the time because I was playing at like the Bitter End and tiny little clubs, and maybe twenty people were coming to see me. But I just, I just, I don't know why. I just set that bar. So for my headline tour in March, I sold out two nights there. Within three minutes, they just sold out. Like How many that. seats did they get? It's not that much. I think it's like 1,200, 1,500 or something, maybe like 3,000 people. I don't know. But just the act of it. It wasn't even about the size. Right, it was right, just right. that that was the thing that I'd walk by every day and think this feels pretty impossible at the time. So I did take a minute. I walked around before the show. It really sunk in. Yeah. So all this time that you're walking around thinking, if only I can get there, this is – I. I this is before Fight Song. Yeah, 10 years before. 10 yeah. years before. Yeah. W- what does it take to get to Fight Song? Oh, my God. So many, so many songs. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of songs. I wrote probably a 1,000 songs before Fight Song came. Um, so many shows. I played, I toured out of a van. I made a bed in the back of it. I slept in the van for years. I toured around with my band. I loved it. I did house concerts in living rooms. I You did performances in living rooms? You never heard about this? No. Oh my gosh. It is the best thing. I don't know. I guess it's not that common. It's amazing. Hold it. Do people know you're coming or do you just pull up and say Just pull up. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Can you imagine? No, no. I I I'd plan it like that. Like we planned a living room tour. I'd give I said tour. We I'd give um I sent out a mailing list blast to my fans and maybe there was only maybe there's a couple thousand people on it and I'd say hey I want to come play in your house here's how you do it <laughs> and they were like fish you crazy <laughs> they were like okay should we try this and I had maybe 50 or 60 people take a chance on it so we put a tour together and it was beautiful they would gather their friends they'd have this little like concert of 20 or 30 people they'd clear their living room and I'd set up my piano and my drummer would set up this like scaled down drum kit and we'd do a storyteller session and play songs. And they did it like, what's it called when they potluck style? It was so cool. And I'd get to talk to fans like really intimately after. Or not fans. I turned, you know, they weren't fans. And, and you're not getting paid for this? You're just No, no, no. There was a donation bucket. Right. So it was like a twenty dollar requested thing. And it was enough for gas and it was enough to like keep us on the road. So I did that for years. And what did you learn? That the party is always on stage. It is not about the audience or the size of the audience. That if you're having fun on stage, you can win over any audience. You know, when I started to speak, somebody gave me some good advice. They say, even if only one person is in the audience, just speak directly to them. Totally. As if it's the only person that matters. Yes. And so you were able to do that every time. Never got. No, I loved it. Honestly, I, that is the truth. At that time, because I loved performing so much and I was getting turned down by labels and, and agents and bookers and managers, I, I couldn't get, like, representation. It just wasn't happening. And I, but, I, but I empowered myself. I figured out a way to play music. 
And I realized, I'd see, I'd be like, I'd do these concerts and I knew that something was working. People would be inspired, oh they'd be moved, God. they'd buy my album after the show and they'd be like, who are you? I wanna be your fan. Wow. So I knew like, I'm doing something right here. You know, Gloria Estefan told me something very similar where she and her husband would be performing mm. uh, and they had, uh, at the end of the night, they had these like, Cuban songs that were making people go nuts and like throw off their clothes and-, and Same, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> and so they, like, they're seeing this in front of them and then they'd go to New York to talk to the record label- Yes. Who, who just had no concept, couldn't get it. So you're going through the same thing, but inside yes. you know, because you've yes. moved the people. Yes. Okay. Exactly. And is that what pushes you along? Yes. All right. Thank you for teasing that out of me. You're right. <laughs> you That's go. exactly it. That's exactly it. And the other thing was I did charity for like 12 years. I still do it today with an organization called Musicians on Call. And we sing bedside to hospital patients. And that, I cannot underplay how much that had a role in me continuing to believe in myself and make music. Because I would sing one-on-one -on -one to patients at their bedside. And I saw the impact that music had, that my music had. And that was enough. And then my ego had to shut up because it was like, well, you're not famous and you're not doing this the biggest way. And I was like, I don't care. Who? I am connecting heart to heart with another human being. And that is all that matters. And as you're going, this is amazing. I had no really? idea of this. Now I know why my daughter loves you so much. Oh, thank you. I, thank you. No, I, I didn't know that. I didn't know this about the backstory. Okay. And, and so you're going around and you're seeing people cry. Yeah. And you're just going to the next yeah. and the next. And the, this got to be great energy. It's incredible. It's just as much as playing a stadium. It's beautiful because it's so intimate and it's so raw. And it, like between the hospital visits and the living room concerts, it was such a beautiful way to get to know like, what, what is the, you know, what does music matter? Why do, why do we make music? This is why. Because... I am getting to know people and I'm seeing like their face change from the beginning of the concert to the end. I'm seeing their whole energy and their body language change. They walk in with like, you know, oh, my weird neighbor invited me to this weird thing and I'm sitting here closed off. And all of a sudden they're clapping and they're singing along with me and they're laughing and they're cracking up and they're just like, their whole vibe changes. And I did that through a song. Would you still do that now? A hundred percent. You would get around and go on tour. I just sang at a hospital two weeks ago. But I, I, oh, mean, oh. I mean, like, yeah. The living room? Do, do the tour. Yeah, the living room tour. Yes. I, you know what? I was just brainstorming with my with my best friends who works at my management company. And she was there. She's been with me for seven years. And she was there during those days. And we were just saying, like, for this promo for my new album. Go back. Let's do it. Let's do that again. Let's, like, figure out how to incorporate that again. Okay, so I see the the energy driving behind you, and you and the confidence that has to come from. Look, I know this is moving people. Yes. Nobody can tell me yes. no. Yes. Okay. That's so that's exactly right. So what what is it that just brings fight song out of you? Oh my god! I what's the moment? <sighs> There's like a lot of tears and like a lot of failures and like where's the I, I failures almost, all i'm okay, hearing is okay, good fine, stuff but but rca was a record label and they they there still are sorry rca is the record <laughs> we can edit that <laughs> and this record label almost signed me because i had a song on the radio okay so i had this indie label it kind of started working all of it started working and coming together i got signed by this indie label i made a record called be here and there was a song called a thousand ships and this was all happening after years. And I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. I was so grateful and Finally. excited. Finally, it gets taste. And Thousand Ships gets on the radio and it gets to the top 20 on Billboard and it's it's doing amazing and I feel so proud. And major labels start asking about me and I go to one and they're like, yeah, we're gonna do this, let's sign you. And after all these years, after 10 years, it's gonna finally happen. And I meet with everyone in the department. My dreams are coming true. And I am like, oh, and I'm crying tears of like joy, like this is gonna happen. And my manager tells me, Two weeks later, they pulled the deal off the table. It's not happening because oh, the man. song started falling. And oh. it was the worst thing. It was so much worse than if they hadn't paid attention Yeah, you were out of the, you were out of the middle. You yes. were looking up and yes. now you're plummeting it was like, down. like, no, nice try, Rach. Even though, even though you really were only knocked back to the middle, you yeah, felt I really felt, low. Right. I mean, you're right. You're absolutely right. I, I still had the thing that I'd had, you but it didn't on the feel ground. like enough anymore. That's right. 
because I tasted what it could be. And right. everyone told me, me promises and told me, you could be a star, you have this quality. And then it went away and it was impossible and no one cared. And that was for years. That was years. And then I met a manager, his name's Ben Singer. And he told me, I've been following your career. You've been trying for years to warm yourself at everyone else's fire. You need to go build your own fire. People are going to come to it. And in his definition, fire was songs. Fire was a hit song. And then we became, our gauge became, do we have fire yet? For the next four years, all I did was write songs. He had me move to LA, leave my husband away. I mean, not leave him, leave him, but move away from my husband. And What does your husband think of this? He believes in me so much. He just he, said, go ahead. He was like, do it. I believe in you. You'll never be happy. He said to me the other day, he's like, this is why I always believed in you, supported you. Because I didn't want a wife with or a mother of my kids to feel resentful of the fact that she never had a chance. What a good dude. He is incredible. He just let you go. He let me go. For years. For years. For years. I come back. I mean, like, I lived in California and in New York. My friends must have thought I was crazy. My parents were like, what are you doing? Just give up. Like, you're and 32. He, and he give was up. just cool with this. He just believed in me. He wow. believed in me. He loved me. He loved my music. Uh, you know what? Next time I lift a glass, it's going to be to him. Me too. You're right. I'm glad to get to talk about that because I don't often get to in interviews. But you're right. I, I would not be able to do this without him and without his support. Okay. Yeah. So so you have that support yeah. and yet you got so Ben the manager ben here. Ben the manager is like, keep writing. You don't have it. Keep writing. You don't have it. Stop touring. Stop doing the indie circuit. Stop concentrating on all that. You're jumping from opportunity to opportunity. He said, I am not concerned about you being the opener on some tour to a thousand people. I want you as the headliner in a stadium. So we're turning all this stuff down. And don't be afraid. And I was like, I am, dude, I'm 31. This is crazy. It is way too late for this dream to happen. Like, hurry up, let's go. I know I have fire. This is this is this song is it. This song is it. And he kept putting the brakes on, like, not yet. Not yet. He could hear. Try again. He could hear. Yeah. He said, try again. Sorry. Keep trying. Write deeper. For four go years. Deeper. Four years. Go deeper. Go four deeper. Four years. And when I, oh my God. And your, your husband's on the other side of the country. Yeah. I mean, I could cry thinking about that time. Like, it was so horrible. My publisher, Amanda Berman, is also amazing. And she told me, she said to me at that time, she said, Rachel, you are trying to write a hit song. Stop it. Just write your story. Just tell your story. Wow. And that was That's right. got to be really confusing. And I was like, I don't want to tell my story. I don't know what my story is. No one cares about my story. What's my story? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. And and I got to a session that day. Fast forward, I got to session that day and about two and a half years into the writing process and I wrote the chorus of Fight Song. Hold it. Yeah. Like, where were you? Where, Sorry. Like, okay. What, like, what's going on? Is this building in your mind? Yeah, it wasn't. I just was like fed up. I was like, I am not giving up on this. Well, that's what, see, that's what I hear. I hear literally the punch through the, I see the fist punching through the door. Yeah. When I hear that song. Yeah, you're right. And so where are you when that melody and those words come to you? A friend of mine, Dave Bassett, had a beautiful studio in Malibu at the top of a mountain, not surrounded by anything else. There were like solar power panel. There was like, you know, off the grid. And I drove up to his studio and he he was an amazing person to collaborate with because he just kind of allowed me to be me. He just allowed me. If I had to show up crying that day, that's what I did. If I showed up like wanting to write some weird, I don't know, pop song, he, he would do it. He'd, he'd follow me and trust me. And I just kind of was like, Dave, shh, like, please just let me go. Like in the airplane. Just let hey, me go. Hey, yeah. be quiet. Oh God, don't, why, why did I tell you that? Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> okay, so I was like, Dave, hold on. I think I have something. And it just came really quickly. And it didn't sound the way it sounded now. It sounded very different. It sounded like a weird, like, actual college fight song. It was like, this is my fight song. Time to take back my life song. Like a marching. That's how I heard it. Oh, That's how it came out. coming out at halftime. Yeah. I don't know what it was. It just came out that way. And the chords were climbing like that. And I had my hands on the piano. And I just knew where to go next. And the words were there, too. The words too. were there, too. It all came so At quickly. one moment. Yeah, it maybe like 20 minutes after the melodies, I took took my computer and just chased them. It was like, oh, this beautiful poet that I was reading said that a melody, like a lyrics can flow through her like a thread of yarn. And she just has to like catch and like before it unravels. And that's what it felt like. I was like, wait, 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 wait. And that I remember the line. I don't really care if no one else believes. I've still got a lot of stuff left in me. I looked at him and I was like, what about this? 
And I said it and I was like, that feels good, right? Maybe not. And he's like, no, 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 no. That's good. I was like, okay. And then it took a year and a half more to write. A year and a half? Yeah. Because the verses were terrible. They sounded like some dirge. My manager was like, this sounds like a funeral funeral dirge. They were like, they were depressing, the verses. And I forgot about the song. I was just like, okay, whatever. I have this chorus. I'm going to keep writing. And I wrote like 100 more songs, 200 more songs, always trying. And my publisher, Amanda, kept whispering, Rachel, that song is a hit. I'm Fight sorry. That song. song is a hit. Ben is incredible, but he didn't know. My manager he didn't know. He missed it. After all know. this time, he's... He, knew, he heard it the first time, and he goes, this, there's something there. Okay. This is cool. This is good. But not the way Amanda did. She was like, girl, this is a hit. And I would be so depressed and call her like, I have nothing. And she'd be like, you have the biggest chorus in the world right now. What are you talking about? But Ben and I kept going. We kept chasing songs, kept chasing songs. And finally... I mean, should I keep going? Okay, this part. How did it happen? What happened? Are you on the edge of your seat? Yes. (laughs) Finally, I I tried it with three or four different producers. I kept trying it. I kept trying to produce it. I had four different verses I'd written, and none of them could get it. And Ben, at this point, was like, this song is a hit. This chorus is a hit. Keep going. Keep trying. No, Rachel, sorry. No, try again. No. Every time I was using my savings to, like, like the, the little that I had to try to produce it again. This this is your husband sending money over yes. from the other yes. coast. Yes, and he had college debt and, and law school debt, and he went business school too, so I had all that debt, and we were like just pouring into my music career because we believed in it. And we kept trying to produce this song, and it wasn't working, it wasn't working. Finally, I had this moment of understanding that it could not come from someone else. It all had to be me. So I went to Guitar Center in Union Square, I met some dorky guy who looked like so sweet. And I was like, you have to teach me logic, which is a music production program. You have to teach me logic. Come over. I'm going to pay you on the side. Let's go. Teach it to me. I'm hungry for it. Let's go. And he did. He came over like once a week for six months and I learned. And finally, I had the tools that I could hear and produce it myself. And once I had the tools to understand how to produce it myself, I started being able to how to I started knowing how to change the drum sounds. I started knowing how to format it and and shift it and create it and sculpt it. And then I could write the verse. Then the verse came once I gave it the proper bed. But every step of that song had to be me. It was just awful to write. (laughs) You know, there's an amazing lesson in that. Because, like, I was scared of doing a podcast for a year. You know why? No. Because it meant... Going to meet somebody, now not in this case, was all set up, but with like a recorder and you had to put yeah. like the wires and get the audio right. And the, the, the technology it's, it scary. scared me. Yeah. It scared me. I'm with you. It scared me. And I'm like, I'm actually really happy to hear what you did mm. because it gives, it gives me the strength to say, I'm, I'm going to do exactly yes. what you did. You have to. I'm going to learn how to do it. Exactly. Get some dork to teach you who loves this stuff. Have him come to your house. Teach you the equipment. Okay. I will do that. Now you've done it. Is there a moment that you realize, okay, here it is. Yes. And when when's that happen? Yes. I produced it finally with John Levine. I made the demo. The demo sounded perfect. Like, finally, to me and Ben, Ben was like, yes, you did it. You wrote the right verse. You have it. Let's, let's get it produced. I... Got John Levine to produce it for way less than he normally takes. It took two more months for him to produce it. He was doing it on off times. He had way more important clients happening. So on weekends or like random off days, he'd finally do it. We had his version that my manager, Ben, and he slaved over. And I was, you know, on the kind of sidelines on that one. Finally, we had this version and we knew. We were like, this is fire. This is it. We have it. Did your husband know too? Yeah, we all knew. But guess what? What? I released it and no one cared. Oh, no. No No one cared. What do you mean? No label cared. No one thought it was a hit. No one was, no one paid attention. And what happened then? Then I did it again. Then I built it up from there. I I was like, okay, I will do what I know how to do. I will go back to house concerts. And I went back to playing house concerts and I started playing fight song. And I saw what was happening with that song. And then I really knew something special was happening. Because then I started hearing the stories from people about how it was changing their lives and saving their lives, inspiring them to do, like, very scary things. 
And I knew, like, without a doubt, Ben lost faith. He was like, no, it's probably another song. Go produce some more. I oh, spent another- Ben, the manager. Yeah, sorry, Ben. I love you, bud. <laughs> <laughs> but you missed this one, bud. And he was like, sorry, Rach. You know, I know you love this one, but it's not the first single. Maybe it's the second single. So I went back to playing these house concerts, and but I saw it was changing people's lives, and I just kept believing. I, like, kept believing in it. And finally, a year after it was released, or nine months after it was released, um, it had a sync. My amazing publishers got it a sync on Pretty Little Liars. And it was on TV. And I knew that that moment, I knew once it got out in a big way that it would connect. And so that night when it was aired, I was ready for it. I was, like, ready for it to all explode. Because I'd seen it happen with, like, Ingrid Michaelson and other artists. And it didn't. It didn't really connect. Not again. Not again. And then I, I don't know. This is this is so annoying. I'm now I'm like taking you up and down. I'm sorry, but this is what happened. And then, and then I just started crying, hit my fist on the floor, and I was like, I give up. I no. don't know what else you want from me, God. I have given everything. I have a song that I chased. I learned how to produce. I did. I've been working at this for 12 years. This is it. I don't know what else to do. And I was just a baby about it. Like, I just wailed and cried and felt bad for myself. And the next morning I woke up and I made a deal with myself. And I said, I'm never going to act like that again. I'm never going to let my ego get the best of me again. This is enough. I have changed people's lives with this music, with this song, and it has to be enough. It Just because it's not thousands of people, it's hundreds. And that is beautiful. And I'm going to keep making music however I can. And I'm going to stop chasing and, like, needing more. And I surrender. And then it happened. And then it happened. I surrendered and it happened. Amazing. Yeah. And what, how did it then happen? What was, when did, was it like an avalanche after that? Pretty much. A, a, a former person that had helped me back in the day just ha- just so happened to hear the song, played it for a pro- product, um, the, the people who decide who's program director at a radio station in Baltimore. He heard it and just so happened to have a sister who had breast cancer and thought, you know what? This song oh, is going to help. And he decided to air it for um, a weekend thing that was benefiting breast cancer. And it shazammed instantly to number one. And then labels, finally, all the labels who turned me down over and over and over, they started calling. And then how are you reacting to them? Just grateful. Okay. And not resentful at all. No. I was just grateful and open and like. How do you like it now? Oh my God. Okay. No. Like, finally, let's do this. Yeah. And what was your husband's reaction after all mm. that he put into this? He was ecstatic. He was so proud of me. You like, you remember, you know the song GDFR? It's going down for real. <laughs> he just played that song on loop in our house. Every time something would happen, he'd be like, baby, baby, baby. Going down for real. <laughs> okay. So we're here at Life is Beautiful. Yeah. Is that... When you when you think of life being beautiful, is that like a definition? Seeing your husband playing that song over and over again? Yeah, absolutely. Oh my God, his support. I I'm really glad that you got to help me remember. I always love him and appreciate him, but to remember just how pivotal he was and how how his love for me got me here. But also, I think that talking about this was like therapy. Like that's why I love podcasts. Because I got to remember just how powerful I was in in taking what no one was giving me. Time to wrap it up. That means it's time for a little gratitude. As always, to Tim Ferriss, who pushed me to start this podcast. Also want to thank Hassan Romia for clicking the right keys to get this out to you. I want to thank Squarespace and ZipRecruiter for bringing this podcast to you. If you need a website or domain name, go to Squarespace, type in the offer code FUSSMAN, F-U-S-S-M-A-N, and get 10% off. You'll be glad you did. And if you need to hire, go to ZipRecruiter.com backslash FUSSMAN, F-U-S-S-M-A-N. You'll get a free trial. All you got to do, type in your job description, and with a single click, you'll have qualified candidates within 24 hours. ZipRecruiter. I want to thank all of you 
who've sent me photos of the cities and towns where you listen to big questions. I open my email and there they are, right in that email box. All these photos just make me so happy. And that makes a podcast that started with a smile end with a smile. See you next week and cheers. Cheers.